Hey guys, you're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly gimme radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. We're back with another installment of Point of Entry. This time around, we have Dylan Walker from Full of Hell, a great band, hardworking bunch of guys. They had a record come out earlier this year, and they're constantly on the road. So definitely go out and see them next time they roll through your town. You guys have had quite a busy year. Uh, brand new record on Relapse. Well, it's not so new anymore, but it uh, came out in 2019, so it, it's sort of new, I guess. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's your debut on that label. I was just saying, it was a great year. I mean, I don't know. I feel like every year we kind of like grow into our shoes a little more and, and stop being so stressed about every little detail. And uh, this year was just, it felt like, you know, the best year we'd had yet. Um, I was like relatively confident in the music we were going to release. And yeah, it was our first with Relapse. It's just been a it's been a really cool year. I don't know, all around, good vibe. Yeah, there's some the good group. people over there at Relapse. I, I really like those guys quite a bit, man. They're awesome dudes. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I don't know what I expected in 2019 meeting Relapse because I didn't know like any any Relapse people ever, and I don't know like what the social landscape would be in that label now. But every single dude at that label is just like super passionate about what they're doing like they actually just they live for the bands like they're just into going to see shows and like you know i remember back when we played together actually the entire relapse staff came to see you guys in uh philly and that oh, like yeah. really struck it, it was a funny story because they wrecked like they needed so many spots yeah but it was also a story that stuck with me because i was like man those guys actually are into the music and give a fuck about it that, that, that's that, always that, been that my um that's always been my impression with those guys. I mean, we, we worked with them for a few years, and uh, I've got nothing but, like, respect and just good things to say about all those guys. And, and when we left the label years ago, it was everything was cool. Like, it wasn't, like, uh, this big, you know, messy sort of thing. It just one thing ended, something else started, and now another thing's starting. So it was all good, you know. Exactly. And that's all you could want when you're moving on from a label is, like, them to be supportive of your vision and like what you're going for and like that's how it happens like us with profound lore chris bernie is still a friend of mine yeah. i have a huge respect for his label i still follow the entire catalog like i'm a huge fan he was just saying you know when we did stuff with other labels he was just like cool well, like pro- you know let's keep in touch the profound lore i feel like they just get sicker with every year with the stuff that he puts <laughs> it's out. the best man yeah it's honestly like gotta be it, for my for my money, like maybe the best music it, or the best label in that particular realm of music. And yeah, he's just getting sicker and sicker as far as I'm concerned. They're very diverse, too. Yeah, there's a lot of different types of stuff coming out on Profound War these days. And uh, I mean, all of it's pretty good. Next year, you're going back to Europe to do Roadburn. So what's what's the haps with that? Um, well, I felt like us playing Roadburn a couple years ago was like a fluke that we kind of just like wormed our way onto the fest. It was a really like a good year that we fit on more than others maybe. But uh, we were with the body and the body are like a Roadburn mainstay. So I was just like, we were just like thrilled to be playing. And then they announced Gizm and my band freaked, freaked the fuck out. But uh, Walter got the idea to ask us to come back next year to play all four days in a row. Mm-hmm. And uh, he kind of let us discuss like what a residency would mean for us and like what we would want to do he had some like you know some requests of course but we uh yeah we get to go back there and just like stay there for four days and we're gonna play uh our last two lps weeping choir and trumpeting ecstasy in full uh each day which uh so that's like 20 minutes set per day which is pretty funny and then we're doing a collab with uh lingua ignota who i'm a huge fan of and who's a part of our newest record and then uh we're going to do a show uh, in a skate park for the fourth set that's going to be like all old material that we wrote when we first formed the band, like the first couple years where it was more more mid-tempo, maybe just like the same influences but a little more primitive because we were just starting out. And I think it's such a trip that anybody actually wants to hear that stuff. It's it's pretty cool. I don't know. Can't get better than a residency at Roadburn. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. That's... um. Yeah, you know what's funny that people always want to hear the 
the old stuff. You know what I mean? It's like the things that maybe you're you're kind of feel like you might be over some of it. But right. people, people go nuts when they hear like the band's like early stuff because it sort of is um, a hint at where the band might might have gone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I, well, I always have like I've always been into early stuff from I'm like I'm guilty of that obviously, and I'm also guilty of being that artist that's like, no, I don't want to fucking play that stuff. But I'm trying to have perspective, and I think my band has really good perspective as well. Um, at least you know we're all getting there. Um, trying to just come to terms with albums that you let out into the world when you were younger, uh, and just like not really rag on it and just kind of appreciate what it was at the time and that it meant something to you. And, uh, I feel like we're getting to a point where, uh, we actually feel pretty cool with playing the old stuff. I feel like we don't feel as if we need to prove anything to anyone anymore. There was definitely like, we've always been so hungry with the band to just like do as much as we can. And like, you know, make something to be proud of and just, you know, give it our all that I think we always have had something to prove and we always will. But uh, it's kind of nice to feel comfortable and like kind of have that in check a little bit and be able to revisit, you know, old stuff that doesn't feel where, you know, exactly where we wanted it and, and be cool with it. Yeah, because at this point, you guys have been around for at least 10 years, I think. Right. Yeah, man, this is apparently this is the 10th year, Spencer says. Which is crazy, because I feel like, I still feel like a pretty young guy, but it's slipping away. <laughs> and I don't, I don't feel bad about it, it's just this reality. We're not, there's like bands that are eight, nine years younger than us, or even younger, and I'm yeah. just like, what the fuck? Yeah, I know, man, that's, um, that's a thing, definitely. The turning wheel. You know, and uh, time is, uh, flies on broken wings, as some people say, man. It's like one of those seriously never-ending streams that a road stone into nothing you know um yeah man <laughs> but uh but it's all good man because you know you having having um wisdom and getting older and having a past and having like sort of perspective on stuff is always good especially for for you know musicians and artists oh i prefer it i would never want to go back uh i i, I have no qualms about getting older and seeing new stuff come up that maybe I don't get and like, and just like seeing things shift around. I'm totally comfortable with it. Actually. One of the things I discovered about you guys is that this last record was written, uh, with everyone living in different places instead of you guys all sort of going through the weekly practice regimen. So how, how was yeah. that on, on writing? Well, for me, honestly, it wasn't any different just because I've always lived uh, up here in Pennsylvania and those guys have always lived in ocean city for the most part. So yeah, uh, Spencer moved up to Philadelphia for a little while and so did Sam. And then Dave stayed in ocean city with his family. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the dynamic between Spencer and Dave obviously was then stretched. And I think it stressed Spencer out a little bit because he's always just been right there you know anytime i got a jam with dave like it can happen because you know that's where all, all these songs have always started but uh i mean i mean i think it made maybe made them value the time that they had to practice a little more they i can't really tell if they're more efficient because it, to me it felt like insanely efficient as usual spencer usually will like come to me at a certain point and be like i have uh you know really terrible writer's block i don't know what to do and then He'll text me like the next day with like six demos. So, you know, he's always like, it's like he's burning constant oil. Like, you know, ideas are just kind of always flying out the gate. Seems like a bottomless fountain, really. So we're really lucky in that there were, there was no like serious stress for us, at least. I, I always just write separately, you know, so everything felt the same. What, what kind of stuff do you uh, like? What's an inspiration for you as far as lyrical stuff goes? I don't know, man. When I was a kid, I was really, really, really into Edgar Allan Poe. That was oh, like okay. how I learned to read with my mom. She would, I was super into scary stories. And at a certain point, my mom kind of like had me do this bedtime reading with her every night. Very, very sweet. Where we would read Edgar Allan Poe stories. And of course, you know, that stuff's like kind of, kind of has more of an antiquated prose to it sometimes. So it's maybe a little bit of a drier read than like scary stories to tell in the dark or something, something like that. Um, that probably had some kind of influence on my vocabulary. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny, like 
this is just maybe just the less common lyrical inspiration for someone in like this kind of musical realm or whatever. But uh, I had a big turning point with Joanna Newsom when I was like in late high school, and and I was like obsessed with her, with her work, you know, for years, and her lyrics were like so just like steeped in this really, really uh, descriptive, you know, analogies and just like these epic poems. And I was, I was always just really taken by that. And uh, I never wanted to do like grindcore or metal or whatever we are. I never wanted to do it like in the traditional, like, you know, let's write an album about killing a bunch of women or something like that. I, I wanted it to kind of I always loved the idea of like Kirov's girl, like a like a hard contrast, and and I love the idea of like um, taking like really ugly sound and kind of like maybe putting something a little less ugly, maybe a little more like beautiful in a weird in a weird way on top of that. And I, I don't think that's like necessarily unique to me. I think you know a lot of black metal bands are are into that kind of idea as well, um, you know, and so on. But yeah. No, it's cool, man. That's that's cool. You, you. I read Poe when I was a kid too. Poe and like Lovecraft and uh, actually yeah, another <laughs> another interesting. Uh, there's a song called Silmaril on. Um, yeah. And and I, I right away I was like, oh, the Silmarillion. Tolkien. <laughs> so, so I guess you I went through Tolkien such too. a. <laughs> I went through such a, a. There's been like three phases of my life where I just hit this pit, where I just fucking read Tolkien shit over and over again for like two years at a time. And there was like definitely a full of hell period for two or three years where I just, you know, read, read over and over again and read the expanded, you know, um, appendix in like the big edition of Lord of the Rings and then read the Silmarillion a fucking again. And it's like, you know, it's, it's a beautiful story, but, uh, it's, it's definitely a dry read. It's awesome. Well, I love it. But one of the things you know what I'm that... saying it's, Oh yeah, totally, man. But one of the things I love about Tolkien, and and I mean, there's other writers out there too that they create such um, a mythology. Like they put almost uh, probably as much energy into world building for the the narrative that they do into the actual narrative. And I always thought that was really cool about Tolkien's work. Oh, it's incredible, man. I mean, he's he is like, you know, the father of all modern, modern fantasy, like whether it's, whether it's a book or an, like a role-playing game, you know, it's, it, it truly blows my mind. I cannot fathom coming up with like an entire breathing culture, you know what I mean? And it lives way beyond him or any of his kids. That shit's going to live forever, you know, unless yeah. the earth gets like nuked into complete oblivion and all records are gone. Shit's going to like outlive everyone. Yeah, I feel like his work is definitely it's almost it's it's like mythology now, you know. It's, oh, it's yeah. uh, once this civilization's lost, someone's going to find uh Tolkien's work and it's going to be like the, you know, like the epic of Gilgamesh or something like that, you know. Yeah, man. Or it's going to end up being some accidental creation story for the next wave of humans. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be even like an even weirder tale than the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh the whole idea behind this type of episode that we're doing tonight is to talk about some of the entryway music, hence the name Point of Entry, um, into extreme music. And if, we're, if I'm talking to somebody who's an artist or musician, specifically what records or bands or other artists have pushed them in the direction that they're currently on. And the reason why I asked you, Dylan, is because I know that you're into a ton of other stuff besides just what your typical grindcore musician would listen to. So I wanted to open that conversation up with you. Well, yeah, man, I actually had a pretty, uh, I feel like I've had a pretty lucky musical odyssey because uh, unlike a lot of my friends, my parents were actually super, super into music and like all kinds of music too. So uh, when I was a kid, my parents would always be listening to the Grateful Dead and a lot of bluegrass and, um, that was that's always stuck with me i guess you know through my entire life especially the bluegrass but they were uh they named me after bob dylan so like a ton of dylan records were always playing in the house and um you know whether he admits it or not his music you know comes out political so i think there was always like a social charge to that music to me you know in in some vague way maybe kind of like a rebellious kind of thing going on my parents gave me my first punk CDs too, actually. My mom was like, before they were into like the dead and bluegrass 
and got all mellowed out. They were really into punk. Um, my dad loved The Clash, and my mom loved Bad Brains and Ramones and Dead Kennedys, and the sec- and they loved the Sex Pistols, like, you know, a lot of early stuff and even some, like, early hardcore stuff, which wow. is pretty surprising to me. Yeah, my mom has all these old pictures of the Bad Brains in D.C., like, when they were, they look like kids in the pictures. It's crazy. So, wow, that was fucking intense, sweet. Man. So, they gave me a bunch of Ramones CDs and, Cla- and The Clash and The Sex Pistols and Bad Brains and, and, and like... This was probably around like age ten or eleven, and that's when I was like, "I'm punk, like fucking forget about it." Um, then of course at school, like all the actual punks called me a poser. So uh, <laughs> it was. I'm glad I stuck through that because I remember being pretty bummed out because I just wanted to hang out with those kids and none of them wanted me around at first. You know, it took like years. Yeah, that's funny, man, because I remember when I first got into punk and it was like, man, I just like the music. I don't want to have to like sniff glue and like, you know, break windows and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, man, I was like, I was like, give me a Bihawk. And I'm, I'm from a really small town, so no one was sniffing glue as like a, you know, in like the punk subculture. There were probably like 10 punk kids and they were all generally good kids. I think we had one friend that smoked a little bit of weed by the time he was in like maybe eighth grade. And we were like, that kid's a fucking drug dealer. You know what I mean? We were like pretty good kids, I think, overall. Like breaking windows, maybe. But uh, I had a friend. One of my best friends was also. Uh, he just he was into punk too. But uh, you know, he got he got hooked on the Misfits like really young, and like was like fucking obsessed. And admittedly, the first time I heard the Misfits when I was like ten or eleven, or maybe like eleven, maybe twelve at most. I hated Danzig's voice. I don't know, like, it just, like, struck me as, like, it sounded like I was listening to, like, like a punk band, but with, like, a country singer. And yeah, that's I, I'm probably going to get man. shit for saying that. No, but, no, like, that's that was just really my interesting, man. That's interesting, time. because, like, I I um, I got, you know, way into the Misfits early on in my life, and I was always really into uh, the Ramones, obviously. That was, Ramones were actually the first punk band I ever listened to as well, except they were around like active when i first checked them out and yeah. um yeah the, the that's the thing i for it's it's interesting hearing a young a guy who's a little younger than i am you know we're talking you know a couple probably a decade at least a couple decades yeah and um that that's what sort of originally turned you off to the misfits because like that's what drew me into it that's cool yeah i always just had a weird thing with voices you know i wasn't listening to any metal at that point um, so I didn't know like about the whole world of, of like screaming and death growling and all that, like, you know, crazy extreme vocal styles. I, I wasn't aware of it at the time. Um, but you know, I went to see the misfits with my friend and our mom took us so sick. And, uh, I love the misfits from that point on, but you know, it was Jerry only singing, but yeah. it's still like after seeing it live, even if it was like, it was Robo and Jerry only and I forget who else, but, uh, it was still sick to me. You know, it was like my first kind of big punk show. And then, uh, I was sold, you know, we were like super fiend club style. And, uh, he, he's the guy that he's the freak that at like age 13 got into cannibal corpse and then like took a deep dive into like brutal death metal and stuff. And, uh, I mean, that was it for, for him at least. I, I remember the first time I heard cannibal corpse, I was also like, I, I don't know what I didn't like about it the first time I heard it, like at age, you know, you know, you're like right at eighth grade or something. I should have been smacked. I don't really understand because we also in our town, our town was like really fucking small. It was like Penn State University, like State College. Yeah. Um, but we had shows like kids my age, a little older than me, maybe had bands. And one of those bands was like purely influenced by like Cryptopsy and Cannibal Corpse. And when I saw that band, and this was probably like same year, like age 13. I had a lot of like flipping opinions around this age. I saw that band and I didn't know like a kid my age could scream like that. It was fucking sick. He sounded just like Lord Worm or something. Yeah. And, uh, it blew my mind. I was like, I kind of like immediately moved away from punk. Like it's still, I still kept the CDs around and I still listened to it. But immediately I was like, I got to be in a band like this because this is like more extreme. Like I need it. You know, see, that's the thing about early death metal that I like too, where that it there was there was a very punk vibe about it, even though a lot of the guys in that band, like, like I, I hit like an interesting point in my life too, like in the early 90s when it was like 
I, I, I was into hardcore and punk and all that sort of stuff and, you know, metal. And I was in this band with this dude who was Mr. Just Extreme Death Metal guy. Like, it's like yeah. his, his whole world started with, like, obituary. You're like, and, bro, chill out. Yeah, but and it was like I wanted <laughs> to do something that had um, kind of elements of both things, but he just wouldn't, could never grasp the idea of punk or hardcore. And to me, they were, like, mm. very similar. He, but but he was, like, the other side of that, like, the guy who was, like... Yeah, into the opposing ride. force that won't look at it. Yeah, like, just, like, this weird closed-minded thing. But, like, when you actually got to meet some of the guys that were in these bands that were influencing him, they were, like, a lot of those guys were into, like, Black Flag and, you know, old punk and stuff like Seriously. that. Seriously. I got a great story, actually. Two stupid little anecdotes, but I can totally relate to that because when I was a kid, we lived in this little town like right outside of state college and the state college kids were like kind of like richer kids. And we were like, kind of like the punk, like extreme metal, like grindcore kind of guys. And they were like, so classic metal only, not even death metal. And like, couldn't cut your hair and blah, 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 blah. blah. And they were such fucking elitists. I could not stand it. And I think it's what turned me off to like a lot of classic, like Metallica, mega death kind of stuff is because those fucking kids were like literally the worst rich douchebag, like line six amp, like metal purist, like just young, young private school, like dorks, like killing it. So I, I can relate there. But yo, best story about punk and metal being intimately related. Uh, when we went on tour with Immolation a couple of years ago, we played in New York City and I was sitting in the green room with Ross and Bob. Yeah. Great and guys. they were sitting there hanging out with Breakdown. Oh, yeah. And they're old friends. Yep. And, well, just to me, that was like a defining moment that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. And when I, I realized that, like, yo, the two worlds, like, belong together, it makes sense. The best metal bands are always, you know, punk guys. You know, like, like I wish I could have given myself a copy of Asuk, uh Misery Index, like, when I was 13 or 14. Because I was, like, I wanted, like, that meeting point between punk and metal you know and i just wasn't sure exactly where to look yeah especially the, the sort of new york death metal bands and the hardcore bands um you know and, and even like new york style hardcore always had like a very oh yeah the crossover like, man. yeah crossover chromags you know yep, um, leeway yeah leeway uh that that uh, you know that period of af were from uh from cause for alarm for those few years they had this like very thrash like metal kind of vibe to it you know Dude, even those records even are timeless yeah I mean, it's all timeless stuff you know it's sick yeah i mean like there's bands replicating those formulas nowadays and they're just you know they're doing a little bit different a little bit fresher but like it's fucking awesome for a reason but i you know i always love like slightly sloppy metal bands you yeah. know if i can hear the looseness in the tracks there's no like quantizing or any of that kind of shit it's awesome yeah, that's that's the thing, man. It's um, that's like an interesting point of production too, because it's like there's certain bands out there that rely heavily on the technology available in studios. Oh yeah, and, uh, and I mean we do too. Yeah. you know, to a degree, all of, both of us do. Well, we have you know, to, to a degree. man. It's like you have <laughs> to like somehow you can't like ah man. It's like such a such a weird conversation to have because for people out there who don't play in bands. They're just like, oh man, you know, you just like put a microphone up in a room and you guys like tear it up. That's not really how it is, man. It's um, yeah. There's a lot of editing, a lot of technology, and I mean, some bands I'm sure are gonna be like, well, we never do that, but whatever, man. But you have to be able to withstand the onslaught of other bands that do that. Otherwise, you know, you're gonna yeah, not man. sound as good, I guess. You know. And I get when, like, a gent band, like, it's not my world. I get when gent bands, like, they really revel in, like, flawless production. And there's something to that. It's it's just not my thing personally. And I don't think it belongs in, like, grindcore and stuff like that. I think those genres, like, you have to feel like you're listening to a bunch of guys playing in a room. Uh, we we kind of, like, toe the line, I think, with production. Because Kurt Ballou production is, like, I think it's, like, fucking huge. But I also think it's, like still got like a raw edge like to me it sounds like really polished it's about as polished as i like for metal records yeah but like he i, I you know when i look at like feedback from random people I, I do still hear like kids that maybe aren't in my same world be like man it's it's like a really raw crazy production and i think it it 
blends the two worlds together. Well, I like to, I like to approach it sort of like each band has its own character. You know what I mean? Like when I listen For to, sure. um, you know, to, you know, the, you guys last record, it's like very, um, it's clean, but there's still a lot of, uh, material like grit embedded in the sound. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, and I can't really pinpoint that, but totally, I get it. Yeah, I'm trying to be like, uh, you know, sort of descriptive here about what I hear when I listen to like the new, the newest record. You know what I mean? A weeping. Yeah, and it's so hard for me. It's so hard for me to have perspective on that because, like, you know, I, I was there and I made part of it, and like I'm involved. I feel like my opinion, a, shouldn't exist, and b, even if it does exist, it's not relevant. You know what I mean? Because like, how am I supposed to have like a grounded opinion on? how it sounds especially because you listen to it when you're in that room behind that desk and it sounds fucking crazy because the speakers are so good and you're listening to like you know just a finely tuned room i try i I like i listen to the records i'll listen to them when i get the masters in my car and on my computer and stuff but then i just don't i'll never listen to it again pretty much because i just like it's the same way man i'm afraid i don't want to do it you can't have any objectivity yeah, about it, you know. Yeah, exactly. There's there's so many layers of distaste when I think about listening to my own records. I'm scared <laughs> to go back and listen to it and be ashamed. I'm scared to go back and listen to it because I hate ego and I don't want to fucking be sitting there listening to myself. It's like <laughs> it embarrasses me. So I just don't do it unless I have to. Like for the body collab stuff, like we just did that over the summer and like we hadn't seen each other in ages and we hadn't played that shit like ever and uh we had to learn it all again and and we wrote it in the studio so it was years ago so as you can imagine like nobody fucking remembered anything from that shit so it was like starting from the ground up you guys are quite fond of collaborations man that's that's pretty cool so i know you have the mersbau one you have uh, some stuff with the body uh what, what are some of the other stuff that you guys have out there as far as collabs go I mean, it's just the two body collabs in the Mersbau album, um, as far as like full albums go. But the way we approached the last record, especially, I mean, we did it for Trumpeting Ecstasy too. But this one, we, uh, I feel like the collaboration always still happens on a small level. Um, not that it's like particularly unique. It's just like something we love. So Weeping Choir had like a ton of friends involved, and I even, as far as like artwork goes, I truly consider the artist. Mark McCoy, I consider him like part of the collective sphere of full of hell. And, and I consider that artwork as, as totally a collaborative project, you know, together as we were like feeding off each other's inspiration. Like he finished a lot of that artwork before I finished a hundred percent of the lyrics and, uh, his artwork totally propelled, you know, me to finish the lyrics very quickly just because it was like, I was looking at a physical manis- manifestation of the record. And then we had like uh lingua Ignota on the record and, and our buddy James Kelly from uh, Altar of Plagues and Wife, he did he did some drum stuff on the record, and I don't know. I, I'd say the collaboration spirit it just sticks around now for every release, but uh, we only really have the three records so far. Other than that, that's uh, that's Mark McCoy from Charles Bronson, right? Exactly, Youth Attack fame. Yep. Yeah, that was a great label too. A lot of cool stuff came Dude, out on that. It's, it's fucking awesome. He uh, he's another like he's a guy that has uh. He cares very much about properly executing aesthetic, and uh, I don't know. I, I really dig everything he does. Big fan for sure. You know, it's it's funny. You mentioned aesthetics, and I was thinking about that. And it's recently I heard an interview with Boyd Rice of among other people who I have <laughs> uh, I have you know I have like um, a whole bandwidth of opinions about Boyd Rice. You know what I mean? Right. And there's good and bad things i think about him but one one of the things that i took away from the interview was he mentioned this term that i've been thinking about called aesthetic alchemy which is like creating an environment out of your own personal aesthetics to sort of generate this power you know what i mean now like an aura yeah and and there's a lot to that and i think there's definitely a handful of bands out there that uh, that do that as well. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, I don't think Boyd claimed that he did that in his music. I think he's he using that more it. for his personal life. But I sort right. of extrapolated that into the broad, the broader 
world of being a creative person or a musician or a band because there's definitely bands and that you know you guys yeah. are definitely one of them who there's like an atmosphere like an environment that the music and the aesthetics create create together so i just want to know if that was something you think about i think about it a lot and uh, i think it's kind of tough with us um i i fully endorse the idea of an, an aesthetic alchemy for sure i think it's tough with us because uh i think we're like really opposed to certain details that I think you need to take into account if you wanted to have like, you know, real aesthetic alchemy. Like I don't really, I don't really feel like the mystery guy thing is ever something that would work for us. I I like that we're approachable and I like that we're honest and cool with people and that we like take time to talk to anyone and just be like the normal people that we are instead of acting like we're like some fucking important, you know, entity that everybody gives a fuck about. Like, like a lot of bands tend to act when when they you know they get one little uh, one little accolade or something. Um, so I don't. I think there's like a like a like a clash between like us just being like normal ass kind people that are just here to do our thing, and then we kind of do try at least with our art to like curate a particular aesthetic. And like, you know, as, as the years go by, my struggle is to make it feel more complete when you're looking at our releases and listening to the album and reading the lyrics. I want it all to flesh together and I want people to like be able to connect the dots between records and like, you know, draw a larger image for themselves. But, uh, I think, um, that's when like the punk and and the theater clash a little bit because I'm not going to fucking not be cool with people and, and be down to earth and normal you know, just for my art. Yeah. And, uh, I want the art to be like elevated in, in some sort of way. So it's just a balance, I guess. I don't know if we hit it or not. No, it's cool. And also that, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, I mean, I, I didn't take it away as like a thing where you got to aggressively like alienate everybody <laughs> either, but. Well, but, I uh, think, I think, you know. um, I appreciate that though. So like, I'm not even saying it's a hundred percent negative. Like, if if a black metal band that's truly into the theater of that like walks with these characters and they're always these people and they have you know no internet presence except for like what they've very carefully chosen to release and there's just like an aura around the band a lot of people are kind of like lashing at bands like that nowadays like saying that theater is like corny but i think you know duh it's fucking corny but it's also fucking cool like let the theater exist let that like them try to build that mysticism because when it works, I think it's really something special. Like I'm into that. That's what I'm trying to say. So like, right. there's like a balance. I don't think that's our style, but I do love I love that mysticism when a band's able to pull that shit off. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, man. And and um, yeah, it's just something I've been thinking about because I I've been applying that concept to um, like whenever I check out a you know go to a show or whatever. It's like like I we were talking about. 1349 prior to this and they yeah. came through brooklyn and i was like that's a band that definitely has a very strong atmospheric aesthetic when you go see them absolutely yeah and on the other side of that if you ever meet those guys they're like the nicest people you ever want to meet yeah that is true <laughs> one of the things <clears throat> now this is from my perspective that you know, I listen to punk and metal, but the harder to find stuff like throbbing gristle and noise and electronic music and that kind of stuff, which is, I know that you're into that. How did you find that, that sort of stuff? So after, like, after I started listening to metal bands through that local band, uh, you know, I had LimeWire and I was always on pure volume um, I didn't have internet at my house, so it was like the the router broke one day when I was like you know fourteen or thirteen or something, and my mom was so fed up she was like fuck it we're not having internet ever again. So from that point until like two thousand eight, almost like when I was graduating high school, I didn't have internet at my house. I think that really stunted my musical growth. Like no joke, I think uh, I took a serious hit because of that. So I was always using uh, like anonymizing proxies at school to get onto like pure volume and uh you know when we did get internet back i got limewire but uh i found out about you know a little bit a little bit more grindcore via that like discordance access i remember finding really really early on like as far as like bands that were real grindcore and 
you know, maybe not so much of the scene stuff. I, I was definitely into some scene core stuff. I think on Headbangers Ball one night, I heard uh, like a Fear Before the March of Flames song, and I thought it was really fucking sick. It was a, a record called Art Damage that is just a botch like ripoff, you know, in the best kind of way. But at the time, it was so derivative of botch, and I had no idea who botch was. But regardless, I became a fan of that band, and I was reading about them on forums, and everybody was just talking shit on how fake they were or whatever. <laughs> and I was kind of disturbed by that because I was like, this band's insane. I don't, I don't really know why. And I continued to be a fan of the band, but that's how I found Botch, you know, uh, the band that that band was kind of supposedly ripping off. And uh, through Botch, I found Hydrahead. Oh, and yeah. Hydrahead, Hydrahead changed my life. I mean, that label had everything – I needed it, and it's just crazy. I, I still listen to like all the stuff I was listening to then. I was super into Oxbow. I found Purient on there. Mersbow was probably the first noise thing I'd heard. I just thought the name was so weird. I had to check it out, and that's where I first heard stuff like Exaster and Daughters was like a huge, huge yeah. fucking deal to me. Like because the first couple records were very like spazzy scene grind, like white belt grind, mm -hmm. as I called it, and then when they released hell songs in 2006 uh i mean it, it like changed me i thought it was like the most demented sounding fucked up like broken guitars falling downstairs sounding record ever and the lyrics were so good i was just uh really obsessed with that record in particular yeah those guys are talented man i um their their newest record is fucking amazing man the one that came yeah, out it's last great. year i mean I think it's the perfect follow-up for them after all this space. Like, that's the record I would have hoped that they made. And I feel like a very invested Daughters fan, you know, to this day. So I feel like uh, – I feel good that I like the record because, you know, I was such a fan of everything they did. Even the record they didn't – apparently they didn't like the one they did before they disbanded the first time. And I liked it. It was like a slightly – it felt like a slightly more dialed-in, almost poppier-sounding Hell Songs. And I thought that was awesome. But uh, I really love that record. They're doing great. They just tour all the fucking time now. Yeah, yeah. I got. I, got, I haven't seen them in this this last iteration yet. They always. I always seem to be out of town when they come through. There was. It was um, awesome. Yeah, I remember we tried to. Uh, we were heading down to Atlanta, and we were going to stay in Baltimore. My friend Cole, and mm. he was doing. Uncle a, Crick. Yeah, you know Cole. Yeah, of course. Shout out Cole. Yeah, you um. And and daughters were playing that night at the um, the met what the not the Metro Gallery what the hell's the name of that place? Autobar? Uh no, it was the uh, Weird. Metro Gallery or something like that. Um, a place that we've played before, and I'm sure you guys have played too. Um, oh, there is a Metro Gallery still. Maybe I wasn't sure how long that was a venue. Yeah, that, that that's probably the, this is only like a couple of years ago. And oh, okay, cool. We were trying to make well, I, I was trying to make it a goal to make it down to the show before they, it was over to see them. And we did, we yeah. literally got there and they were loading out and I was like, fuck, but I, I got, I got to check them out. Cause I love the new album, man. And, and it's like, man, you know, they're great. It's live. great. They're still wild live. I will say, uh, they had a much more self-destructive history. <laughs> and when I saw them as a teenager, uh, they did some really crazy shit. I remember Lex just holding his hands out to the audience and everybody spitting in his hands. He filled his hands up and then he drank the spit. Yeah. I thought he, I thought now I'm like, yo, you're, you're, you're a wild ass piece of shit back then. But, uh, now, you know, then I was like, I just want to be like this guy. Like I want to go as hard as fucking possible when we play. I want to hit kids. I want to like flail all over the floor. I was also, uh, definitely really, uh, really taken away with uh dillinger escape plan at the yeah, time definitely there was a video of them playing at the mall of america it's still sick um and as soon as the band starts they go ape shit and the singer just head walks like 20 feet deep into the audience and i remember being uh pretty blown away by that so i took like this that like sharp left turn into that world uh you know and my 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 best friend who i was my bandmate all through high school he stuck strongly into like the true death metal lane and uh we still met in the middle. We played music together, but uh, that that was like you know I you know I went down the deep white belt lane I guess for a couple of years. Well, Dillinger Escape Plan I feel like is a very as time goes by are going to become a more and more significant band in extreme music I think because 
they they were able to um you know start in one place like as a hardcore band but expanded into that kind of mike Patton world of this kind of experimental yeah. like you know weird music yet they still managed to somehow gain more and more fans and become like this uh commercial phenomenon in some ways i saw them on fox news one day yeah like back in the day i was like what the fuck um but yeah man that band is undeniable like i don't give a fuck what you're what you think about that band what you think you know but you cannot deny their talent and energy they're the best you know they were one of the bands that you know we really wanted to tour with uh until they broke up we were like dillinger escape plan would be awesome like totally would be willing to do that one and, and be honored yeah it's you know the ben wyman trip that guy's definitely a tour de force when it comes to like all aspects of music too as as well as just the business end of it too that guy knows what's up what's up you know yeah, it's pretty cool. I like when people just like keep hustling and do like a bunch of different projects. And all those guys are, as far as I know, are still working on cool shit. Yeah, they are. It's cool. But yeah, Hydrahead, man, that like changed everything for me. And it's crazy because some of the bands I still listen to. Like I found out about like Oxbow and Kanye and Harvey Milk back then. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this shit's awesome. And And like for the last year, Spencer got me back into Harvey Milk like obsessively. And I like this time when I'm revisiting them, I'm just like, this is like one, the most underappreciated band of all time. It's like it's like a like an like almost like a droney noise rock Tom Waits. It's like genius music. So it's just crazy to me. I feel like I've come full circle a little because I had such a phase when I was young with Hydrahead, and now you know I still find that library to be really great. It's yeah, they got awesome some great label. stuff, man. Great. That that was that was an important label, definitely for me too. I mean, I, yeah. You know, I remember when when Aaron first moved to Boston because like I was living up there at that time too, and uh, just changed everything. And you know, there was it was like that whole part of the country became synonymous with this thing that was going on that was kind of centered around what what he his aesthetics. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's really cool. Like, I don't, I can't imagine, like, how a person like that was perceived then. Cause sometimes, like, I, I, I think, like, younger people, like, like, uh, immortalize and worship, like, really random ass things that maybe people at the time didn't really think much of. So I don't know if Hydrahead, like, it's cool to hear that it was influential then because, you know, now it's just like fucking Hydrahead. But I don't know what it was like then, you know? Yeah. It was definitely like this new thing, but, um, but you know, it was the bands were 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 great, you know. And that's kind of really the the sort of you know selling point of the whole thing is that the music was good. It wasn't just like some new jack with like recycling the same shit. And right. especially on the early releases, um, you know, he he hand created like all those early record covers, like all those seven inches. So there was like this very tactile, like DIY, but it was like not just like photocopied stuff of like charles manson or like cop cars or shit like that it was like this very uh well-designed creative like artistic sort of thing and i think that right there just that in and of itself like changed the way labels did things and created aesthetics around aesthetic DIY alchemy. music yeah aesthetic alchemy there you go you know pulling it all together <laughs> yeah man i uh I mean, I feel I feel the same way about Hydrahead that I do about Youth Attack, honestly, and yeah. and Profound Lore. Those guys are they very carefully curate what they love, and, and like I don't know, their passion speaks for itself. The music speaks for itself. There's like something to be said about that. I think it's really cool. So aside from this uh, big outing in Europe that you guys have planned for uh, for 2020, what other stuff you guys have on the horizon right now? So next week we're going on tour with uh, Cattle Decapitation, Atheist, Author and Punisher, and a band called Vitriol. Mm-hmm. It's a really long tour. Um, well, like lineup wise, <laughs> we're doing like two weeks of that. I'm I'm pretty pretty fucking psyched, man. Honestly, uh, um, we toured with Cattle Decapitation a couple years ago, but this is on a you know on a new record for them and for us, and and there's a bunch of other cool bands on the bill, and it's not just uh, metal bands, Author and Punisher. Tristan's like super talented, like really crazy sounding industrial stuff. I don't know if you're familiar, but he uh, built his own MIDI controllers, but they're like big cranking machines. It's, it's so sick. So I'm pretty excited. 
I think uh, mixed bills are good. But um, other than other than that uh, European tour in the spring, um, that's our first time in Russia too. Oh wow, so that's pretty, cool, uh, man. Pretty fucking psyched about that. We waited a long time, but uh, finally got everybody on board, and I'm just excited to check check out you know a new culture and eat some food for sure. That's awesome. But uh, we're working on we're working on like a special release for early in 2020. I don't really want to spill the beans about it, but uh, we were you know it's like our first big DIY project, like as far as releasing music goes. So I'm I'm pretty pretty excited to be in the in the, from the ground up being involved, you know, with releasing uh, releasing something, you know. Well, that sounds interesting, man. I can't wait to hear about it. You know. Yeah, I'm psyched. Yeah. You know, Tristan, uh, I, I actually, he actually was a guest on this show last year. Um, oh shit. Awesome. Yeah. And it's funny. I didn't put two and two together that he and I actually met in like 1997. And it's funny because, um, we did that. We did the interview in person. And when I walked in, he didn't have a beard and I'd only seen photographs of him with beards. So I'm like, when I saw him without the beard, it all hit. It all hit me that I'd met him, and we were like, he's "Oh, like, that's you know, crazy!" I was, I was wondering if it was the same guy. And I'm like, "Yeah, like was, I, I recorded a demo for like one of his old bands." So crazy. Cool. Was that when he was living in New York? Well, Syracuse he, or something? Maybe. Yeah, he's from like upstate New York originally. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's like when I was living in Massachusetts, we had a studio out there, and like we recorded a bunch of different bands and all this stuff. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I can't so. remember the name of his hardcore band from that time period, but uh, uh, our, we have a friend that's like really, really was into that band and was was psyched to find out, you know, that those were related. <laughs> yeah, well, the band that I recorded was called Falkirk, and um, that's it. Oh, that's, that's it. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't really yeah. hardcore. It was more of it was it was. Oh, well, actually, I'll, I'll revise that. I think it 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 was not what I would consider hardcore per se. It was more of like. Uh, that late '90s kind of stuff, I guess. You know what I mean? Like not straight. Like hardcore. a metalcore. Yeah, it's like yeah, like Neurosis. Like uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was, but it was like, it, it's hard to. I probably have a, the MP3 somewhere or wave files in my files somewhere on a drive, but it's uh, yeah, it was like yeah, it was like this not late '90s kind of metal. You can tell there was like a DIY thing going on. There was there was like a Neurosis influence, like most bands were at that point. You know. Right. Yeah, it was That's really awesome. cool. His voice sounded great on it. That was the one thing I, I really thought was cool was that he had a, he had a great singing voice, you know? Yeah, it's like one in a million. Yeah. I mean, it I was mean, all... most of us uh, can't actually sing. Yeah, there was no extreme vocals in it. It was all, like, melodic vocals, which was I thought was cool. That's really interesting. You know, I couldn't get into melodic vocals at all, mostly, you know, when I was a kid. I mean, maybe that was part of the reason why the Misfits didn't immediately appeal to me. There was like actual melody a little bit yeah. in his cadence, but uh, I mean, I'm still that way a little bit. But uh, when the voice is right, it's right. I like it, it a lot. You know that that's the operative right there is because um, I, I like clean singing, but it has to have uh, like some sort of characteristic to it. You know what I mean? That resonates. Yeah, definitely. Just a little picky. Yeah. Well, Dylan, thank you very much. Uh, appreciate it. It's great talking to you again. I haven't talked to you in a while, so it's cool. Dude, it's been forever. Yeah, dude. And uh, yeah, is that the the tour with cattle decap? That's uh, that's U.S. right? Yeah. So we're doing from Texas, up up to Chicago, and okay. there's a stop in New York too. And yeah. I don't remember what day it's on. I'll find but it's out. It's at uh, La Poisson on Rouge. Yeah, that place is cool. You should yeah. hit me up and come I'm, out, hang out. I 100% will, man. So uh, that's awesome. All right, thanks a lot, man. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, a Gimme Radio weekly podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.
was hoping to find a find a way to catch up with you guys at some point you know yeah definitely dude it's been a minute yeah definitely. i was thinking about that 1349 tour like a lot actually this year it was oh, really just, that was a good time oh yeah man. yeah I, just, I don't i don't i just ran into those guys we, last week actually they were out here in brooklyn how they doing they're doing great Probably man the they, uh, always. unfortunately john well not unfortunately but they had um neils from uh Dark Funeral playing drums for them. I guess John. Oh, is that's like, sick. Yeah, dude, that guy is like one of the most intense drummers I've ever seen, man. So that rules. Good for them. It's so hard for them. They get so much shit when they don't have Frost with them. Yeah. Like from like psychos. John's with Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats now. He's killing it. Yeah. I mean, that's... he's like, I mean, he's doing great. He's a great drummer. I'm really happy for him. Yeah, I, I like. I haven't. Um, I haven't seen him play with those guys yet. But, uh, but yeah, I'm sure he adds quite a bit to that band. But oh yeah, dude. Yeah, that tour was fun, man. I, I had a good time on that one. It was. Um, it was good. You know, good grunt, good bunch of people, and I think everyone got along really well, and it was fun. All yeah, the bands are different. and nobody really. It's, it's pretty pretty cool because nobody really knew each other. Oh yeah. I mean, I figured I would get along with all you guys, like at least the lineup at the time for sure, because I just knew those guys from like the other bands that all of you guys had done i knew we all came in like from a same background sort of uh-huh. and i knew there wouldn't be like i would i would have been shocked if there was like ego i was i was curious about 1349 because we'd never toured with like older black metal guys before right but there's i mean i didn't i'm sure there's like so, like ego there of some kind but like not in a way that invades anyone else's space at all those guys were so chill and cool to be around I yeah, was really they, impressed. Yeah, they were great, man. They they were really yeah. cool. And um, yeah, it was. Yeah, we did another short tour with those guys uh, last. Oh yeah, two, two Ozfest. Yeah, out to Ozfest. That was pretty sick. Yeah, I saw pictures of that. That's awesome, dude. Seeing them play in the middle of the day, which like, it's weird, right? It was weird, but also <laughs> strangely intense because you know how um in Halloween, uh, Michael Myers like some of the scarier scenes are him during the day. Just standing back there, yeah, just menacing aura amidst like a totally banal environment. That's kind of how I felt about 1349 at Ozfest because like there was like sunlight and all this stuff happening. I wasn't used to that. So yeah, still not down with playing in the day outside. Oh, dude, I I fucking hate it, man. Fuck it that. <laughs> yeah, it's just outside in general, it kind of sucks. Just it's horrible. Yeah. Sound